Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy, owner of Karen Litzy Physical Therapy, located in New York City. Now, today's episode, I'm not the host. I'm really happy to have back my good friend, Dr. Stephanie Wyrack, who always comes through with some amazing interviews. And today's is no different. Today, she is interviewing Colonel Zach Solomon. He earned a Master of Physical Therapy degree from U.S. Army Baylor University and a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from Baylor University. Colonel Solomon also graduated from the U.S. Army War College with a Master's degree in Strategic Studies. Colonel Solomon most recently served as the Branch Chief, Army Medical Specialist Corps, Human Resources Command, Fort Knox, Kentucky. He is a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist from the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties and a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. On today's episode, they are talking about resiliency and what is the importance of resiliency in life and in leadership. So Colonel Solomon shares his 25 year career journey, starting with his master's program at the U- U.S. Army Baylor program and his time at Walter Reed in Fort Riley. He also describes his experience as a brigade physical therapist in Iraq during the surge in 2006 and 7. Additionally, he discusses his role as a brigade medical officer in a basic training brigade and his time at Aberdeen Proving Ground. True, Tune in to gain valuable insights on resilience from Colonel Solomon and from Dr. Stephanie Wyrock. So everyone, enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I'm your guest host, Stephanie Wyrock. And today we're joined by Colonel Zach Solomon, who we're going to uh, talk a little bit about resilience and his experience in the military. He is a physical therapist in the military. So thank you for joining us, uh, Colonel Solomon. Tell us a little bit about um, your career and give us a little bit of, ba- of background about yourself. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me, Stephanie. I have been in the Army for, for 25 years. Uh, I began my career actually before I ever started being a physical therapist. I attended the U.S. Army Baylor program out in, in San Antonio. That was an 18 month master's program way back in, in 1998. Uh, graduated from there. And in 2000, I went to Walter Reed. I was there for two years as a staff physical therapist. Then I went to Fort Riley, Kansas, where I was the assistant director of a physical therapy clinic. I then had the opportunity to go to Hawaii for four and a half years, where I was the assistant chief and chief of the physical therapy clinic at Schofield Barracks in the middle of Oahu. However, during that time, I deployed to Iraq as a brigade physical therapist as a part of a brigade combat team to Iraq during the surge in 2006 and 2007. I came back, I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where for the first time I started doing jobs that weren't necessarily directly related to physical therapy. I was the brigade medical officer in a basic training brigade. Um, I split my time uh, working with injured uh, new soldiers in basic training and being an advocate for all medical activities within that brigade. I then went to Aberdeen Proving Ground. And again, sort of outside my area of expertise, I was the assistant director of Army Wellness Centers, where the program was in its infancy. And I went around the world setting up Army Wellness Centers to promote health, uh, performance and readiness uh, across the army. I then went to Fort Campbell and I got back into my groove in physical therapy where I was the director of the clinic at Blanchfield Army Community Hospital. I had the opportunity to go to the Army War College in Carlisle Barracks for a year and I earned a master's degree in strategic studies. I was able to stay there for another year, work in the PT clinic, 
before I had the opportunity to go to uh, Presidio Monterey in California, where I was the commander and director of the Presidio Monterey Health Clinic, which was an ambulatory health clinic that included uh, primary care, uh, pediatrics, ancillary care services, behavioral health, the whole uh, gamut. I then uh, went into my current job at, at Fort Knox at Human Resources Command, where I am the branch chief for the Army Medical Specialist Corps, which includes physical therapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, and physician assistants. We have 1,500 officers where we do uh, career management uh, assignments. We do um, general counseling and, and provide great advice on, on how to build and, and promote their careers. I have a master's degree in, sorry, I have my master's degree in uh, physical therapy. I did do a bridge program and I entered my DPT through Baylor University as well. I have my uh, orthopedic certified specialist through the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties. And that is a brief summary of 25 years. Wow, you have done so much. I love that your career has blossomed into being extremely interdisciplinary, which is something that I think in physical therapy, we especially as civilian physical therapists, we've really been trying to promote, is trying to promote this um, societal uh, lens and trying to be more interdisciplinary. What made you decide to join the military? Well, my family, for one, uh, my my grandfather was in the Navy, and I heard all of his war stories. My father was in the Air Force. Uh, my father-in-law was in the Army. It, it was all around me. But um, I also wanted to be a physical therapist. And when I was a a sophomore in in college, I didn't have I didn't have any idea that there was opportunity for a physical therapist to be in the Army. Way back then, when there wasn't an internet, to find a, a master's degree program, you ought to open up a book, like a, a phone book size uh, <laughs> book to find master's degree programs. So what I did is I, I was just one day scrolling through it, looking for physical therapy programs that matched my prerequisites. And lo and behold, the Army, Bro uh, Army Baylor program was in there. So... I, I graduated, I applied, and I did not get in. I worked as a PT tech for a year. That's the only thing that changed in my in my application. And the second year, I was accepted, and, and all else is, is history at this point. Well, it sounds like they wanted you to get some extra experience then in the PT world. And that seemed to be kind of the changing um, force within your application. It sounds like no, no, absolutely, and and you know what? I don't think I do it any differently. I, I learned so much during that year about physical therapy, uh, looking from the bottom up. That it was it was beneficial throughout my career. And you know, one of the things that really makes people successful is learning from failure, right? Mm -hmm. And not getting into PT school that first year. I mean, that can be pretty devastating for a lot of people that are applying. So you were obviously very resilient. In, try, in, in your application, you were resilient in your perseverance to become a physical therapist. So with that kind of in mind, what does the word or the term or the concept, what does resilience mean to you? Well, you hear a lot about resilience these days, particularly where I'm coming from. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no other profession in the world where Resilience is critical to your survival. It's critical to mission accomplishment. And it's critical to have a successful and fulfilling life outside of your job after it's all done and over and you're retired. I see resilience as really three, three pieces that are all really interrelated. There's, there's coping with daily life. You know, every day we deal with little challenges that test us. Resilience determines how, how far are you going to dip when you're faced with those those small issues that come up. Are you, are you resilient enough to deal with someone that you know cuts you off in traffic? Can, can are you able to calm your nerves enough? Are you able to recenter quickly? 
that that's one. The other one is uh, overcoming acute events. Now this is this is critical to the army. We ask our service members to do incredible things and be successful. So not only do you have to survive, be resilient and survive, you also have to be resilient, survive, be innovative, and find ways to get things done when the plan fails. So resilience and overcoming obstacles and showing really that that focusing on mental resilience. And then there's the, the one that's talked about a lot. That's that's bouncing back from a significant traumatic event that is potentially going to have long chronic consequences over over a long period of time. Those are really the, the three things I look at. And of course, they're all interrelated and they all involve uh, physical resilience, emotional resilience and, and uh, mental resilience. I love how you connect your military training to the term resilience. Actually, one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview you on this particular topic is I just got done reading a book called Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. And you're actually mentioned in this book. Mm-hmm. But one of the uh, one of the parts of the book that I found really interesting is the authors who are both social scientists and one of them is a physician and they study resilience in people who have gone through very um, stressful, traumatic situations. And a population that they've really studied is military, specifically special forces. And so the fact that you have talked about this is really relevant to what they talk about in the book. So how, you know, I know that you're medically trained and you kind of, you, you deal with um, service members who have had some type of injury within the service, but how has your military training impacted your resilience and your ability to promote resilience in your patients? Sure. It starts with physical training. There's an expectation in the army that you're going to maintain a certain level of physical conditioning. And we know that a high level of physical conditioning, physical fitness promotes resilience. And the army has done a lot in this area recently. Uh, In the past, um, physical training included a test on push-ups, sit-ups, and run. Not real relevant to the operational environment. Now they have a six, uh, six a, a six station test where it really gets at different different types of fitness. That's that's number one. So physical fitness, how does it help me? Now I'm a physical therapist in nature. <laughs> we are fit individuals. It's it's a product of our profession. Would I be any more uh, resilient uh, if I was in the army? I or or, or without the army. I, I think I, I do pretty good in the physical fitness realm. Yeah. In the army specifically, it's, it's realistic field training that, that, that really gets to that emotional, physical, and, and mental resilience. When you're cold, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're fatigued out in the field in a realistic environment that's at, that replicates the deployed setting, and then you're asked to complete tasks successfully, that's where the army shines in terms of building resilience. And that's that's where I found a, a great benefit and it's benefited me uh, while deployed. Um, I, you know, I think the army has also moved towards, at least since 2009, uh, resiliency training in the classroom. They, they invest a lot of time. Uh, they have master resiliency trainers that do a 10-day course and then go out and, and, and train the field. And classroom environment, uh, you're not in the classroom. You're not cold, tired, beat down. Uh, so I think it takes some self-efficacy to uh, absorb some of that. But I've, I've noticed in the last couple of years, I've really started internalizing some of those messages. and. You know, an example is hunt the good stuff, hunt the good stuff to combat uh, negative bias. You know, look at the positive side of things, have a positive attitude. Uh, I'm a catastrophic thinker. Uh, You know, looking, you know, they they train you on how to get away from that line of thinking. Um, 
other things are detecting icebergs to improve self-awareness, just getting at um, self-reflection and, and looking for ways to improve yourself. And that's an annual training. So the, the key to learning is, is uh, re repetition. And I think the Army has done a great job in that area. And how have, how have those techniques or the things that you've learned in the military helped you build resilience in your patients? Well, again, physical therapy, the benefits of exercise, both uh, physiological and psychological, that that's what we do as physical therapists. Of course, that that stress has to be uh, sufficient enough to stimulate a response for one. I also like to add a mental challenge uh, uh, for the appropriate patient, such as having an optional course with with multiple options that they have to think through a particular challenge to get at some of that mental uh, resilience. The other thing is social support. When we have, for instance, a, a group of amputees come in, we like to get them together and be in the same room and be able to talk about their experiences while they're doing their rehabilitation. One thing that's often overlooked in highly motivated individuals is taking rest and time to recover. You know, to build resilience, yes, you have to be under stress, but you also need to have sufficient rest in order for the brain and the body to recover from that. Um, th those are really the key key things I look at it when trying to build resilience in patients. So you've talked a lot about a, a lot about what is important or what the literature has found to be important in building resilience in yourself or in people that you work with. So you've talked mm -hmm. about social support. That's something that's very important you talked about mental toughness and physical toughness which are extremely important you mentioned optimism you had mentioned that your kind of default is to be cat a catastrophic thinker but trying to change the mindset to think more optimistically um those are just some of the things that as i've been uh jumping into the literature and really studying this topic have really come out and are mentioned in the book that i mentioned previously so one of the stories that I thought was extremely interesting and very inspiring in this book was um, that was how the authors mentioned that you were a key factor in helping General Hugh Shelton, who is the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to recover from a spinal cord injury that he had suffered um, uh, many, many years ago. Can you give us a brief overview of his injury and then tell us a little bit about your experience as his physical therapist? Because I think that this is a really inspiring story and really speaks to how resilient this individual is. Sure. Yeah, I, I think before I, I talk about him, I think I'm going to talk about one year prior and where I was coming from and where my mindset was when I met him. I was at Walter Reed. Uh, I had spent several months in the ICU working with very complicated patients, doing doing great things. Tubes coming out everywhere, and we're getting up, getting getting them up, standing up, and walking. Uh, so I so I had experience with very complicated patients. So I, I I knew some of the some of the limits there. The other thing was 9/11 happened, 2001, and. I was working in outpatient orthopedics at the time, and we started getting amputees in, below knee amputees, from landmine injuries from Afghanistan. I've never met a more motivated bu a bunch of service members in my life. And I say service members because it was Army and Marines. That required me to step up my game and really push them as hard as they, they, they could go. The, the prosthetic technology at the time was that of a six-year-old diabetic. It wasn't there. So innovation was key to get these individuals up, moving and running to where I had to keep pace with them. So when I had met General Shelton, I was dialed in <laughs> and, and focused on, on, on getting, getting things done fairly quickly. And I had gotten a call one, one day to come down to the ICU. There was a patient there, a VIP. The Lieutenant Colonel 
that was assigned to that section was out that day. So I walked down there, I walk into the ICU and I see a bunch of people standing around a bed and I see it's General Shelton, the, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and um, introduce myself and I do a exam on him and he had a, a significant spinal cord injury, not a complete spinal cord injury, um, but he had very limited use of his legs and his arms. And he told me the emergency room doctor said I would never walk again and I'd have very limited use of my legs or my arms. I, and I, you know, talked to the doctors off to the side and, and got there. Uh, okay. And I went back up to him. I said, are you ready to stand up? He, he, I don't know if he was looking at me like I was crazy or, or in sheer excitement, but um, sure enough, I, I, the bed, moved the bed to the side and had it, had it in the chair position. I had my PT assistant with me, which was, his name was Solomon. First name, Solomon. My last name, Solomon. It just worked out that way. Now, did he stand <laughs> on his own accord? Absolutely not. I blocked his knees. I had a gate belt, pushed his hips forward. He's 6'5", so he towers over me. I have him standing under my power and Solomon's power. Have him sit down. And I tell you, when I reflect back on my time with him, there was no bigger moment in our relationship than that moment because I built trust and confidence within him in me. And and that carried on forever. I mean, he 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 would do anything I said after that. And it was, it was a it was a several month twice a day, getting him up, getting him moving, starting very small, very small, uh, but slowly getting him up, standing on his own, getting him into parallel bars, getting him walking where my assistant has to move his legs for him. Uh, and then getting him into a walker. Yeah, he had to use some assistive devices, AFOs, but it was constant progression. Once we achieved uh, one of our goals, we moved on to the next. We got him into the pool. We had him walking in the pool. Um, so he he's a two-time Vietnam vet and a Gulf War vet. He had all the resilience in the world. All he really needed was someone to really push him. And, and I did. I, I pushed the boundaries. Of course, w w within the consent of the surgeon and the, and the physicians involved, we were all on the same, same team on that. And, and you know, he, he wrote a book without hesitation. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that, but it's his biography, which every chapter is a chapter of his life. But he starts each chapter with with this with a passage about his experience at Walter Reed, uh, and he talks about one time I was with him, and we were walking, and again I I, I pushed him every day, and one day he said I'm gonna faint, and he was six five. I had Solomon with me, but I was thinking, oh my gosh, he's gonna go down. He's not going down on the floor. So we had superhuman strength. We put him in his chair and he, and he talks about the last thing he heard was code blue. Now he did not go into cardiac arrest. He had, he had fainted, but it, it, it definitely brought some attention to the room. And I walked absolutely dejected. I thought my career was over. I thought I was going to be going to Alaska next month and I was going to be shipped out. I was not showing great resilience <laughs> acutely after that episode. So what I did is I talked to my boss and I said, I think I killed the general. And she said, no, you didn't. It's going to be okay. And I went home and yeah, I felt, I felt pretty bad because we walked a fine line and we were successful uh, right up until that point And we had a setback. The next day he calls me up and he says, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's get back at it. Went back up to his room. And sure enough, we, we were up. Of course, he had a cardiologist standing right next to him at that point with the, as with an atropine injector. But he did not hesitate. His confidence in me was not swayed. Uh, and 
I had again had my confidence back to work with him and push him. In 83 days, he went from lying on his back with limited movement to walking out of the hospital with a cane, which was which was an incredible uh, recovery in, in my opinion. And it took a lot of work, definitely. Yeah, I mean, his story is just amazing. And just to kind of give our listeners a little overview of kind of what happened is, you know, this is a General Shelton spent his career jumping out of planes. And one day, my husband is a, a forensic pathologist, and he actually wrote a, a paper on um, tree on on deaths from from trees, people who like go and cut down tree branches. And he was actually General Shelton was cutting down some tree branches. Something happened where the tree branch slipped. He fell fell down and ended up falling out of the tree and hitting. He like did uh, in the book they describe he describes how he did this spin. And ended up on the ground and he was laying there thinking to himself, wow, I've jumped out of all these planes and have never like had a significant injury. And here I am done with my military uh, plane jumping. And this could like I could be I, I might be dying right now. And then he talks about in the book about how he ended up going, like you said, laying on his back, being paralyzed, being able to walk out of the hospital. I think that you also say something that's really important. And how old were you when you saw General Shelton? I was 26. So you had just probably like pretty much had gotten out of PT school. Yes, I, I was. Earlier? I graduated PT school in 2000. And this was March of 2002. Okay, wow. So two years out of school. And, you know, for those newer physical therapists or even some of our more senior physical therapists i mean how many times have we dropped a patient quote unquote or messed up with a patient or gone home and all we can think about is what we did wrong with that patient like kind of what you said um i think it's really interesting that you went to your boss and said i killed the general i mean i can't imagine how much pressure you felt on yourself every single day treating somebody who was so important in the military. But, you know, one of the other things I find really interesting about General Shelton is in the book, he says that he never really understood the severity or the poor prognosis of his injury. And he goes on to say that had he known, he isn't really sure that he would have been able to walk out of Walter Reed Hospital. And as physical therapists, it's, we have to do this kind of fine dance between helping patients accept their condition and their prog and or their prognosis, but also, like you said, pushing them to achieve things that maybe they never thought possible. So you obviously um, approach General Shelton with this mindset. How did you do this fine dance with General Shelton? Did you, you know, did you ever have any doubts about how far you could push him? Kind of give us an uh, a little bit of an insight into what you were thinking during this. Sure. I I didn't know the bounds. All I knew is after my initial assessment, I had play to work with. It was not formed, but I had I had something to go off of. And I, I knew the potential was there. You know, one of the one of the key things was just having conversations with him about, about his current state and understanding uh his injury and uh, what I'm seeing in him and what, and the potential that I see, but also talking to him about what, what his expectations were, what's his desired end state coming out of this. Uh, and, and he, he, he wanted to, to walk out of Walter Reed. He didn't say with a walker, <laughs> he didn't say with a cane. So, so, you know, I, I, I was cautiously optimistic. I, I never, deal in ops uh, obsoletes yeah or uh absolutes I, I was not going to tell him there's no way you're going to walk out of here i just told them hey this is what we're going to do this is our plan this is how we're going to progress you know and patients i've worked with in the past if they tell me hey i might i want to run a marathon when i get out of here uh and if i know that that's probably not 
possible, I'll tell them, hey, let's let's talk about those steps before we get to running a marathon. What what are those type of things you want to do? And they'll scale it back to, okay, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, walk down down the street with my holding my wife's hand and or walk in, you know, going for a walk with my children. So so scaling it back rather than just saying that's never going to happen. Forget that. Let's 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 shorten that time horizon. What are those things short term that that you'd like to to focus on? That, that's really how I approached it with him. And that's one of the things I love about being a physical therapist. I feel like our job is never to tell somebody you can't do that. It's always okay. You want to do that. Let's think about ways that we can try to achieve and try to get you there. And you know, if it takes 84 days, if it takes five years, we're going to try our darndest to get you there. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that I love being a PT. So, you know, you have, you talked about Colonel Solomon, how you worked with General Shelton and how, you know, he pushed the bounds, you pushed the bounds. You know, he, he seems to be a pretty impactful person, but I want to know as we're kind of, you know, as you've gone through this leadership journey, as you've had this amazing career in the military, who has been the most impactful person in your leadership journey? And if you can't think of one person, that's okay. You can definitely name a few people. You know, as I uh, mentioned early on, I, I've been to a lot of installations in my time and I've, I've spent time with a lot of leaders. And, you know, when I think back on the one person that had the biggest impact, it was it was actually pretty early on. It was after Walter Reed when I was at Fort Riley. There was an officer, he was a major named Tim Pendergrass. And, you know, what made him stand out was it was it was his his leadership you know when when you're leading a clinic you have to have wear two hats right you're you're a manager you have to make sure you're you're seeing the workload you're you're doing all the documentation you're you're getting those those boxes checked in terms of you know getting the bills paid but to be a a leader requires a special skill set and and with Tim, he he cared about his staff, which absolutely went a long way. He, he listened, and 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 you can see that he not only cared about his staff, but he cared about how his staff progressed, and he wanted to see his staff move on to bigger and better things and have a great career uh, in the army. And and he, he he followed me throughout my career. Uh, so much so that you know, I kept running into him, and and one time someone asked the question in a room in which he was present, and I, I called out his name. I said, "Hey, my mentor," and I was probably a lieutenant colonel at that time. My mentor is Tim. He's sitting right over there, and and he was absolutely surprised because it came natural to him. He didn't even have to think about uh, being a mentor to me. He, he just had that natural leadership. The other thing he had was, was resilience. And, you know, at the time I didn't think, wow, that guy is really resilient. What I noticed was he was unfazed by challenges. He remained calm when I wasn't calm. When I would run into his office and in panic saying, oh my gosh, you know, something's happening. He would calmly say, okay, Let's let's go out and look. I'm I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Let's let's go take a look and, and let's let's solve this problem. He brought calm from chaos. And every leader that I worked with after that, when I noticed that quality, uh, it it really resonated with me. And and the consequences of, of some of the things I saw were much higher. I, I've seen rollover accidents. I've seen uh, you know, people with gunshot wounds. And it's, it's really those leaders that are able to remain calm in the face of adversity that, that really stand out to me as, as impactful. Why do you think that's a quality that you have really been drawn to? Because that's, that's what leaders do. You know, it's, 
they 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 have to be able to to bring that calm and it gets out to what a leader does uh in general and in, in in the army it's it's said that leaders provide purpose direction and motivation um purpose comes from meaning and and what they what they are supposed to do what their mission is direction is the the vision uh motivation i like motivation from the book drive when he talks about drive really purpose autonomy and and mastery um and that ability to communicate while calm unfazed in challenges and be able to be a leader and in the most difficult circumstances convey and communicate purpose direction motivation that that's why it stands out and you know that's another um that's another characteristic that's described in this book that helps people build resilient or that resilient people have is that they have meaning and purpose in what they do have you had to over the years then work on trying to be that calm presence or is that something that you feel comes naturally to you as well because of what you've learned throughout through the military. I have to work on it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I mentioned throughout my career, I've worked in environments that were outside of my area of expertise. I've walked into a room, sat at the head of the table, the person in charge, and I was in a room full of experts. And in those circumstances, I, I literally think to myself, all right, I'm not sure what we're talking about here. <laughs> I don't have the technical knowledge, but this is what I do understand, why we're here, what direction we're taking, what the end result will be, and I know how to motivate these individuals, right? I give them autonomy. They're the experts. Let them figure out how to solve the problems as a leader i don't have to be the one telling them exactly how to execute they're the experts i'm humble i i can i can take a back seat and let them uh figure figure out solutions and the other thing is they're the experts i can motivate them by continually getting them better at their jobs uh, and that that also applies in the physical therapy clinic when you're le leading junior physical therapists mo motivating through mastery in their profession goes a long way in building trust and confidence from from your staff i think you hit on a really important point there because one of the issues that we're facing in physical therapy and in healthcare in general is burnout and one of the solutions that have been proposed by experts who study this is increasing autonomy in physical therapists and how they practice, whether it be through billing, whether it be through scheduling, improving their flexibility, and also giving them purpose by helping them become masters of their craft. So with that in mind, you know, you've had, you've done a lot in your career. Have you ever faced burnout in your career or faced burnout in other aspects of your life? My assignments have lasted two to three years. And even within those assignments, oftentimes I had jobs for one year. So when, you know, when I think of, of burnout, I think of a, a loss of empathy or, or compassion fatigue. And I, I honestly, I moved around so much. But burnout, I, I, I don't identify with having burnout in the past, but a stressful work environment? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, the way I deal with stress is I'm a physical therapist. I exercise. You know, if I'm if I'm have a lot of stress, there's nothing better to combat that that psychological stress by going on a nice hard bike ride where my body is tested. And at the end of that bike ride, all I can think about is how my lungs burn and my legs burn and. And uh, you know, all those endorphins are flowing through me. It just makes me feel better. 
recently I've also added yoga and, and meditation to my my health routine, getting older, need more flexibility. And I've also found that meditation helps with, with relieving stress. Honestly, simply taking a deep breath has done wonders for me. If I, if I notice I'm stressed out, just taking a deep breath can, can temporarily reset me. The other thing I do is I, I, I have a statement. I tell myself, I say, I can do hard things. I don't argue with myself. I say, Dad, this this is hard, and and sure enough, I, I can get past this." So, just words of words of uh, encouragement that I tell myself is, is really what I need under stressful situations, and it's and it's proved successful so far. Yeah, in my conversations with other physical therapists, especially younger physical therapists who are new to the profession or even physical therapists who are kind of where I am in my career, you know, five to 10 years out is, you know, analyze your work environment. Are you justifying why you're staying in a toxic work environment? A lot of times people will say, oh, well, I love the people that I work with. Well, okay, you like the people that you work with, but you're still unhappy. Perhaps you should consider going to a different company where you're still going to like those people that you work with and you will have good work culture. I think by you emphasizing that you haven't really been in one place for very long. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes to show that you're always being challenged. You're always that the environment is changing. You're always stimulated. And one of the aspects of burnout that qualifies as burnout is that um, not feeling fulfilled in your career, which Mm -hmm. if you think about resilience, goes with that purpose and that meaning that is important in building resilience in people. So with that in mind, I know that you had mentioned some of the things that you do to try to help decrease stress. What advice would you give to other physical therapists who are maybe facing burnout in their careers? You know, absent the ability to pick up and move or find another leader, (laughs) it's, it's finding, as you mentioned, it's finding purpose in your job. You know, we're, we're caregivers. We, we, we deliver health and wellness to our patients. We facilitate a better life. That, that has meaning. And, and, and sometimes that meaning can be lost. So, so recentering. The other thing I find, and, and when I notice a, an employee, staff member, soldier that are having a hard time at work you know maybe, maybe they're not quite uh, meeting expectations i have a sit down with them i don't say hey you are not meeting what i expect of you you know <laughs> i'm going to punish you uh i ask them what's going on and oftentimes it's something outside of that clinical environment it's something going on with themselves, something going on with their family, and or something going on at work with another staff member that we can resolve. I, I try to promote work-life balance, and and that's important to resilience as well. You know, balancing work, family, and your own health and wellness is important. Now I say balance, but it's very difficult to actually balance those three. What I promote is different times throughout their career, you're going to have to put emphasis on one or two of those legs of the stool at any given time. And it's okay. I'm your boss. It's okay to focus on family. It's okay to focus on yourself. And giving that permission to staff members to say, okay, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time. I'm still going to do my job, but I'm going to need a little bit of extra time in order to, to to get things right at home. That goes a long way to not only help that that employee, but also it builds trust in in the leadership that that they care about you and that you're taking care of them. 
I have found that it's interesting how we as physical therapists or even as healthcare providers, if you want to go broad, we spend so much time helping people in crisis. We give them this listening ear. We really get to know them. We are so compassionate to them. But then when it comes to doing that to our colleagues, we don't do that mm -hmm. a lot of times. And that has always been a really interesting observation that I've made now over my career, because we are physical therapists, I think, are one of the best healthcare providers to do that. So with that in mind, what advice would you give to leaders to help them promote resilience and reduce burnout in the people that they lead? So I mentioned it about the, the people most impactful to me. I've, I've, I've mentioned it on what I what I do, it, it's it's care about the people you lead. That's number one. It can't be fake. You need to truly care about them. Yes, you need to be a manager. You need to make sure all the widgets are being checked, but you really need to care about the staff that work underneath you. And part of caring is, is listening to your staff. If they're having a problem, sit and listen to their concerns. Sometimes it's just venting. Sometimes they're bringing up a valid point that, that needs to, to create change within the work environment. The other thing is to support and accept risk. Now, I'm not talking about patient risk. I'm talking about the risk of innovation. And, and you, you brought it up. Um, giving autonomy to your staff to come up with innovative ways of doing things. If that fails, accept that risk as the leader, don't put it back on the staff member. Allow them to innovate, you accept the risk. The other thing is be an example. You know, show that you aren't working, you know, 12 hour days. You go home to your family, you take time to exercise, you take time to take care of yourself. If all they see is you're a workaholic and they know you have five kids at home, th that doesn't reflect positive on you as a leader. Another thing I've gotten the habit of doing is providing honest, positive, and constructive feedback. I sit down with my staff um, every month or every quarter with a goal of doing, you know, six to eight times a year. We actually sit down. And even if I work right next to that individual, I still take time to sit down with them and go over what things they're doing great with. And I promise them every time we sit down, I'm going to give you constructive feedback for things you work on. Now, people, some people aren't, aren't really used to getting constructive feedback and they take a defensive posture. But when I tell them right from the start, you're going to get this, they're expecting it. And sometimes I fail at providing that feedback uh, and, and they're sitting there going, I'm ready for it. You know, tell me what to work on. And I think that builds resilience, right? They're, 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 they're getting feedback that they need to improve on and they implement processes in order to improve that. And they work on it. I think that's, that's resiliency building in, in work. So I've really tried to work on that. Um, and then finally, as I mentioned, um, a leader has to be able to communicate uh, purpose, direction, and motivation. That, that's the third piece. If you do nothing else, make sure you convey the meaning of why you're there, the direction that you're heading, the organizational vision, what is, what is your, your purpose? And, if, and I said, motivate. As a leader, you have to motivate. And we talked about that as as autonomy and and mastery in their job. You know, be a mentor, be a coach. Don't just be the manager of your staff. Yeah, I think that the uh, things that I really admire in leaders are pretty much all the items that you mentioned. I think that the role modeling piece is key. I remember when I was in my first clinical rotation, I was at Denver Health Medical Center. And my clinical instructor told me on the first day, she goes, I do not want you to be at this 
hospital after 5 p.m. 5 p.m. is when you go home. So you need to find a way to finish all of your work before then, because I will mm -hmm. not let you stay late. You need to learn to balance. And at the time of being, I mean, I've always been kind of one of these workaholic people, mm -hmm. people pleaser, teacher's pet, those, you know, mm -hmm. the typical, I think, physical therapist. And when she told me that, I was just blown away. And I didn't really come back to appreciating that lesson that she taught me very indirectly until I became a parent. And now I have to balance being a clinician with having to make sure that I'm picking my child up from daycare on time where I can't stay late at the office anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I think modeling those behaviors is so essential. And that's something that I don't think we, as healthcare providers, we do enough for the people that we're teaching. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. We do ask one final question on this okay. podcast that we ask everybody. And that is, if you were to go back to your 25-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I, 25 years old, I was applying to PT school again, failed the first time, got in the second time. I'm much older now. I would say, don't sweat the small stuff. Life goes by pretty quick. <laughs> and, and as you had mentioned, focus on taking care of yourself, focus on taking care of your family. Because at the end of the day, you're going to leave this job you're in. You're going to retire one day. And what's going to be left is how you feel about yourself and how you how your family feels about you. And that's really the important thing in life. That's what I would tell myself. Great advice. Well, thank you, Colonel Solomon, for joining us today. And thank you to everybody who listened. And remember to stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.